All right, good morning, Two Rivers. Um, I'm, good morning, all right, I'm Tim. I am the discipleship pastor here, six days into that job and uh, enjoying that, yeah. So uh, I've been around Two Rivers, if we haven't met before, I've been around Two Rivers for quite a while, but I've served in a couple other roles, most recently as our campus pastor down in Bearden. And uh, so Jeremy has started there. This is his first weekend there. So we're super excited for the folks down in Bearden. And yeah, super excited for them. So glad that Jeremy and Stephanie are part of uh, our staff family now too, as they've been part of our church family for a little while. Um, of course, we got folks out in Rome County and down the hall in, in Ant and uh, in the Blend. So we're all t- together in a few different places. We're going to crack open our Bibles. We're going to listen for God to speak to us today. Um, as part of my new role, I got to spend a week in Berlin um, last week. Spent a week there with our Berlin team, folks from our, some of them are folks from our church who have been sent there to the mission field serving long term in Berlin. That was great to be with them, saw some cool stuff, great people, great to hear what God's doing there. One of our people, one of our missionaries from Berlin, Aaron Birchfield, is back in town. Uh, he was here uh, last night at Harrison Lane. He's down in Bearden today, so folks in Bearden, get a chance, hopefully you get a chance to meet Aaron after the service, um, stick around and hear what God is doing in Berlin. While I was in Berlin, I got to do something I like to do. It's a hobby of mine. It's not for everyone. If you're not into it, don't worry about it. I like to run, okay? It's not, I know it's not for everybody. I'm not one of those people. You got to become a runner. You don't have to become a runner, okay? Move, be active, but you don't have to run. I happen to like to run. So I went running in Berlin. Great thing about running in Berlin versus East Tennessee, it is like like flat as you can imagine. It's like somebody came through the road grader and just did the whole place flat as a field. It's so nice. And so running there, you feel like, you feel really fast, you know? Like, like short shorts fast, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you're, in the running world, it's like an unspoken rule. The faster you are, the shorter the shorts are that you can wear. So when you get to the Olympics, it's like, all the way up here or something. I'm never doing that. But in Berlin, it's like, ooh, I'm a short shorts runner now. Uh, then you come back to East Tennessee and hit these hills, and it's like, I need the basketball shorts, you know? <laughs> like, I'm, it's, you just, the, you, the thing with running hills is going up is hard. It's not like riding a bike. Going down isn't a breeze, okay? Going down the hills is hard in a different way. And you just, it's like, you just don't feel like you can go as far. It doesn't matter where you're running, Berlin or or uh, Knoxville. I mean, either way, it requires endurance to keep going. And it's, it should come as no surprise for, me to hear, for you to hear me say that life is an endurance race, an endurance event. Life is. You've experienced it that way before. We all know life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And that's not just my, uh, my metaphor, my analogy. It's all over the Bible. It's, it's the way that Scripture talks about it, um, that we need endurance to make it in life. Specifically, the Bible talks about the idea that the Jesus-following life is like a long race that requires endurance. Paul uses that analogy. James uses it. The writer of Hebrews uses that analogy. So here's the deal. If you want to grow in your life endurance, if you want to be, if you want to be able to make it through the hills, the ups and downs, and the flats, but make the long race in life, listen up today, because we're going to look at a passage of scripture from the book of Revelation that's really weird, full of strange symbols, and it was written 2,000 years ago. It's 
ancient, but it is all about, this passage is all about that purpose of life endurance, about keep going even in the difficulties of life, the things we face. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 12, 13, 14. We're going to work our way through three chapters. Um, We do that because there's big things going on here. We don't zero in just on one little spot. You have to see these whole visions and how they fit together. So that's what we're going to try and do. Now, if you remember, the last couple of weeks, in in the last several chapters in Revelation, John, who wrote this, this letter, has been... Uh, working through some series of sevens, seven seals. Then last week, seven trumpets. Next week, we're going to look at seven bowls of the wrath of God. Here, there's sort of an interlude. And he stops and takes a little break from that. And it's like John pulls back and has these several visions that step back and give a sweeping view of the whole arc of history, like from the Garden of Eden all the way to the very end of time. It's all covered in, in very quick succession in, um, in, this session, in this section, in the visions that he has here. Now, you got to remember, our aim in this series is, because we're going to see a lot of signs and symbols and things, you go, what does that mean? Our aim here is not to parse out every imaginable detail from Revelation. Instead, our driving question is, what do I do with this book? I'm a regular person. I want to follow Jesus. There's this crazy book at the end of the Bible that I'm kind of scared of. What do I do with it? That's what we're going to try and get, get to that. Um, so that we don't avoid it, but instead we engage with God through his word, even, even the book of Revelation. And what we're going to see in, this, in these chapters today is what we'll call our big idea for today, and it's this, that Jesus is calling us, you and me, his people, he's calling us to faith-filled endurance. That's the clear call to us in this passage, to faith-filled endurance. It's a continuous theme in Revelation, seven times John writes about patient endurance. That's what he keeps coming back to. These are the last two times that he mentions that. He mentions it twice in, these, in this section. And so we're going to look at, um, at uh, starting in chapter 12. Okay, why don't you turn there, get it in front of you. Uh, we're going to kind of follow along through 12, 13, 14. So you're going to want to have it in front of you the whole time. Paper Bible, electronic Bible, whatever you need. Um, we're going to look at that, all right? So, Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. So, we'll stop right there. This section of Revelation is marked by several signs, okay? You see two of them here already, a pregnant woman and a great red dragon. And these, of course, are signs. They're not literal things. They're signs. They're symbols that point beyond their descriptions to deeper truths. That's what they are. And that makes it complicated. We don't always know exactly what the symbol is. Some of them we do know. Sometimes John is explicit about that. Sometimes we don't know. But what we do see here is John has a vision of like a, a cosmic spiritual battle. Now, you'll have to go and you'll, you need to read the whole chapter. You need to read each of these chapters. Uh, if you, we've been saying this. If you just, if you'll do a little bit more than Sunday morning, okay? If you'll take this and you'll do a little bit more, read through them, engage with them a little bit, you'll get a ton more out of this. Last week, we pointed you towards a, uh, 
uh, a tool. It's a little video by the Bible Project. If you go to 2rc.tv slash revelation, you can watch that video. It's a video that will bring you up to speed on the first 11 chapters of Revelation, right up to where we are in, in chapter 12. So watch that if you haven't. But we have this series of signs, and it's a, it, John is portraying a, a, a vision of an unseen, cosmic, spiritual battle that has taken place. He seems to be talking about things from the far past that is taking place, things that are happening now, even in our present world, and things that will take place in the future. And he seems to just move quickly back and forth between those things. He sees this woman who's about to give birth. And the dragon, the red dragon that's mentioned there, is, is waiting so that he can devour the child immediately when it's born. Verse 5 says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, so this is messianic language right out of Psalm 2. If you go back and look at Psalm 2, it's, it's right out of there. This, this passage, just like all of Revelation, but especially in these chapters today, it's just chock full of Old Testament language. References to the Old Testament and language straight out of the Old Testament. This is one of those. So it's very clear that this child, it becomes clear this child is the Messiah. It's Jesus. And you can see the story sweeps along. The, the, the dragon is waiting to devour the child, but the child is caught up to God and to his throne. So in one sentence, we go from birth of Christ, life of Christ, death of Christ, resurrection of Christ, ascension to heaven and on the throne. It all happens in one sentence. That's the way the book of Revelation can move. Um, if you read the passage, you'll see that the woman isn't Mary specifically. If you read it, that, that, it doesn't make sense to read it that way. It's not Mary, Mary specifically, but it's a symbol. This woman is a symbol for God's true people, like the people of Israel waiting for the Messiah to be brought forth, like a woman waiting uh, to give birth. Uh, there, as you read through this, you'll see um, there are some things, like I said, some things that aren't clear, some things that are very clear. One of those is that the dragon is Satan, okay? That's crystal clear. John comes right out and tells us that. The dragon is Satan, and he has been defeated. We know that from this chapter. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan is the dragon and he has been defeated. We need to know that truth as we read Revelation 12. Second thing is this. Satan, though defeated, is still present on the earth and he's still attacking God's people. You see that in verse 17 in this chapter. Um, Paul, Paul talks this way. The New Testament talks this way about Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul calls Satan the God of this world. There's this sense that Satan, though he's been defeated, has been allowed by God to have some power and authority on the earth. It's not his power to own. It's not his authority to grasp. God has allowed it for a time. And we're living in that age where Satan is considered the God of this world. He's at work and he's still attacking his people, but God is protecting, shielding, sheltering his people under his wing. The third thing we see in, in chapter 12 is that the outcome of this spiritual battle is already decided. 
It's already decided. If you look at verse 12, it says, even Satan knows that his time is short. It's this sense that Satan has been defeated. He's been thrown out of heaven to the earth. He knows his time is short, and so he's still fighting. He's seeking to cause all the damage that he can, but he knows that it's over. He knows that he's lost. You hear all of that. You read chapter 12. It's like this fascinating look into an unseen spiritual cosmic battle that's going on around us. But we got to remember, we got to be clear why this matters to us today. Remember, the call is to faith-filled endurance. Why? Why do we need faith-filled endurance? Because a spiritual battle, a battle like this, requires faith beyond what is seen. We need to have faith that there is more than just what we see going on around us. That we are caught up in this battle. We're we're in the midst of it. As Paul says, our struggle, like the the things that, that, that require endurance in life, the hills that we're running in up and down in life, it's not just a struggle against flesh and blood. It's not just a struggle against what we can see and touch but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why I need faith. If I'm going to endure, I need faith. Faith that I'm not the only power at work in my world. Oftentimes, we tend to engage with this idea of the reality of a spiritual battle, of a spiritual fight. We tend to engage with that usually one of two extremes. Either everything that's difficult is from the devil... Or everything can be explained without the supernatural, just in natural terms. If you listen to some people talk, Satan is an expert in exactly one thing, church sound systems. <laughs> like for, some, for some people, every time there's a microphone problem, it's, it's the enemy, you know? Sometimes, yes, but also... There's a lot of cords and plugging in and stuff that's involved, you know? It's just a complicated system, and sometimes things get unplugged or switches don't get put, you know, whatever. That happens. Um, and so it can be a mistake to say, like, every little difficulty that I encounter or everything that goes wrong is an attack by Satan. But I tend to be on the other side of that spectrum. I don't know about you, but I tend to assume that the difficulties, um, the hills that I'm running in life, are natural and not supernatural. And the problem with that is, that's not the picture described in Scripture. In this scene, the dragon is, an un- is a sign of an unseen reality, a desperate, defeated, personal, spiritual enemy of God and his people that we call Satan. When you read this, there are symbols, okay? The dragon is a symbol. Satan is not a symbol. Satan is a reality. And we, I, you need to face that. So like when when I encounter someone who seems to be blinded to the truth of God, someone who just, or even myself, there's a truth about God that I just won't believe, that I repeatedly believe a lie. I should stop and go, wait a second, maybe it's just not an issue of logic or of clarity of explanation. Maybe it's a spiritual battle. Maybe Satan and his forces are at work, and the way that I need to engage with them is spiritually, not just mentally, that I need to engage in prayer and in faith. So we should expect difficulty. We should expect persecution. We should expect a need to fight 
And a spiritual battle requires a spiritual response. So our our way of fighting is not the world's way of fighting. It's not our natural way of fighting. It's just what Dave talked about last week. If If you didn't hear that message, you need to go back and listen to last week's message and hear this idea that the fight isn't the way that we naturally normally think of it. It's about laying down our lives. It's about giving up our rights. It's about sacrificing ourselves for the way of Jesus. Look at verse 11 in chapter 12. It says, And they have conquered him, conquered Satan. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. The way we fight is by surrendering to the Lamb. The way we fight is by the power of Jesus, the slain Lamb who laid down his life for his enemies. So we testify in our words to the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. We show by our actions that our lives are no longer our own but belong to him. So we don't have to protect ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. Instead, we can love others. We can protect others. We can defend others. We can lay down our lives in the name of Jesus for the things that he cares most about. It's a spiritual battle. It requires a spiritual response. And so it's faith that we need. We need faith in Jesus. We need faith that he has already won the victory. We need faith that he's already won the victory because oftentimes it feels like a hopeless fight. You know, you can say, yeah, um, yeah, Jesus has conquered death and someday we're going to be with him. But you know what it's like in the midst of it. There is no shortage of breathtaking, strategy, uh, breathtaking tra- tragedies in our world. There's no shortage of it. Like every day, if you open your eyes, it's like the world is so bad. The things going on around us. You know people who this week, and maybe it's some of you, have received devastating, heartbreaking news. And it seems like it's relentless. Sometimes, yeah, you're running in the flats. But you always know somebody who it looks like they're running off a cliff. And if you don't have in your mind the truth, the unseen truth, that Jesus has already won the victory, it can be so heartbreaking. It can be so discouraging. It can kill your endurance. You know, running is a mental game. It really is. I mean, it's physical too. You know, you gotta, you gotta work and you gotta train. But a lot of it is mental. I have these little, like little running axioms. I have three of them. One of, like, just little things that I tell other people, tell myself about running. One of them um, is this. The first mile will always be terrible. That's, that's just, I'm telling you it's true. The first mile will always be terrible. And it messes with your head. I can go out for a 10-mile um, a run. And in the first mile, I go... Uh, and, and this isn't like sometimes this happens. This is, this is totally normal, almost every time. Uh, I don't think I should. I, I, maybe I'll turn and go back to the house. I, I just don't have it in me today. Like, I'm not strong enough. I feel like it's hard to breathe. My legs feel heavy. My legs feel dead. I think I need to go back and do it. Half a mile in, I'm saying that. And somehow, I, I, if I just keep running, I run 10 miles. It'll happen on a three-mile run. On a three-mile run, I will go out the door. On a two-mile run, I'll go out the door. And in the first mile, I'll go, I don't think I can run two miles today. I just don't have it in me. My legs feel dead. I can't breathe, you know? And the, the, thing, the problem with that is it's just my mind is telling my body, <laughs> let's not do this, okay? But my body can actually do it. It's like I just need to know this truth. I don't feel that truth. It does not feel like it's true. I don't actually fully, like I, it's hard for me to know that it's true, that I can run the whole, the whole thing, but I can. 
Now, that's just my endurance. That's my power. That's not what this is about. This is about Jesus and his power and what he's done. But it's still the same thing. It's still an unseen truth that at the moment, I don't feel. I don't feel like it's true that Jesus has won. But it doesn't matter that I don't feel it because the word has told me it is true. He has won. Satan is defeated. On the cross, the game is over. So I don't have to worry about how it's going to end. I don't have to worry. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm not going to make it. You're going to make it. I'm going to make it because Jesus is with me. I have to remind myself of that unseen truth. He's already won the victory. We fix our eyes on Jesus, on the truth that we can't currently see. And that's where faith-filled endurance comes from. And we keep going. Now, as this scene continues, chapter 13, John sees two more signs. So the, the woman was a sign, the dragon was a sign. He sees two more signs. There's a beast coming out of the sea and then a beast coming out of the earth. If you go to the Old Testament, this is imagery right out of Daniel chapter 7. Go read it sometime. Now, it's less clear. John doesn't explicitly identify what these signs symbolize. Is it something that happened, something that is happening, something that will happen? It's probably all three. Is, does the beast represent a person? Does the beast represent an empire? Does the beast represent a way of operating? Probably all three. These visions that he has paint a picture of a system at work in the world. Empires, cultures, religions of the world throughout history and into our present day that are opposed to God. Opposed to the truth, opposed to his way. So chapter 13 gives us a picture of a world that as this first beast comes and as the second beast comes, a world that fully buys into the lies of Satan. That's something that's coming, but it's something that's already here and something that has been in the past. It's the way that our world works. I don't think we should have, as we, as we read this, we shouldn't have in our minds a picture of, of Satan worshipers. So the beast, as you read about it, the, beast is, is, the beasts are both representing the power of the dragon, and we know the dragon is Satan. So they're representatives of Satan's power on earth. And, but I don't think we should have in our minds a picture of Satan worshipers bowing down before a beast with ten horns and seven heads. Instead, remember, the beasts are symbols, so we should probably have in our minds things like people in the world around us um, considering that greed is good, convinced that rage is useful, self-centeredness is considered healthy, lust is considered freedom. That's the way that is anti-Christ. That is the way that the world is going that is opposed to the way of God. We don't always think of those things, those kinds of things, as being satanic, but they are. Greed, wrath, rage, anger, malice, slander. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, these are all things, and Paul lays these things out for us. They are the way, not of God, but of the world, and that's the way of Satan. And see, in, in this picture, as you read through chapter 13, it appears there's only two kingdoms. There's only two paths. There's only two streams, only two peoples. There's no... There's no neutral. There's no middle ground. You can't be Switzerland in this spiritual battle. It's the people of the slain lamb, and it's the people of the dragon. That's 
all that there is. The whole world, it's like the whole world is moving one way. It says that the whole world worships the beast. It's like the whole world is like a river swiftly moving one direction. And the people of God, the people of the Lamb, are called to swim upstream against that current. And the reality is swimming upstream requires endurance. You know, when you're swimming upstream, you can't just stop swimming. There's no neutral. You can't just say, I'm going to just wait, you know, I'm going to sit by and see what happens here. When you do that, you're moving one direction. Instead, we're called to swim upstream, to keep going, to keep following the Lamb. Now, it's in chapter 13 that we get what is maybe, and I think it's maybe unfortunate, maybe the most well-known bit of the entire book of Revelation. It is the mark of the beast and the number 666. So let's talk about that for a minute, okay? Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18. I know some of you are like, good, finally, we're going to get an answer on this. Um, says this, verse 16, and it, it, the beast, the second beast that comes, and it also causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. You can understand why people have, for centuries, read that and gone, what's that saying? It is confusing. It's hard to understand. Let's, let's try and understand what we can. For one thing, it says, verse 18, this calls for wisdom. It says, let the one who has understanding figure it out. Okay, maybe we don't have enough understanding. Maybe we don't have enough wisdom. So maybe you could just say, I don't know what that means. And that's maybe all right. We're going to try and shed a little light on it. One, okay. Go back before the number. On the, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Now, if you've been around Two Rivers for a little while, if you were here this summer, does that language of something on the hand and on the forehead, does it remind you of anything? Something from the Old Testament that we studied, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we were studying something called the Shema. Do you remember this? We were studying the Shema. And do you remember? The Shema was this Old Testament, this ancient um, prayer, this chunk of scripture that the people of Israel were called. And it says in that, that they would repeat and they would pray um, every day. And it says in that passage, um, Moses is, is giving the word of God to the people and says, these commands shall be written on your heart. And then he says, you shall bind them as frontlets between your eyes, on your forehead. You shall wear them on your hands. Now, as we talked about that, we did not all leave and say, okay, next steps this week, get a box, put some scripture in it, strap it to your forehead, get a tattoo of the Shema written on, you know, on the back of your hand. No, we didn't take it that way because we understand that when God was saying that to the people of Israel, he wasn't saying literally carry them around on your forehead or on your hand. Instead, it was an idea, a symbol that the head is about what we believe and the hand is about what we do, that God cares about how we align ourselves, what we believe and what we do. That's what the Shema was about, um, our, our thoughts and our actions. That seems to be what this is about. The guys from the Bible Project, I love it. They call this the anti-Shema. It's the anti-Shema. Remember, the beast is moving against the way of the lamb. The, the whole world is going against the way of God. And so God has his Shema, well, the beast has his anti-Shema. Um, probably not a literal mark, 
Um, probably not a barcode or a tattoo or government-controlled nanobots or anything like that. That's probably not what the mark is. Instead, it's about where our allegiance lies, about our thoughts and our actions. Which way are we swimming? Which way do we want to swim? And then it talks about this number. The number of the beast is the number of a man, and his number, the man's number, is 666. That's less clear. There's tons of theories about this. Um, A lot of the imagery in this chapter aligns with the situation that the people were facing in the first and second century with the Roman Empire and specifically with the Roman Emperor. Nero, at this point, had recently died, probably by suicide. Um, There were rumors that he was going to come back to life, that he was going to return. If you take the word Nero Caesar... It seems to be sort of the most, most common, most popular theory on this, and it is just a theory. Take the name Nero Caesar, transliterate that into Hebrew. There was a way in Hebrew of uh, assigning a numerical value to each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And if you take that system of each, uh, uh, you take that system of numbers attached to the letters, Nero Caesar, transliterated into Hebrew, is 666. Whatever it is, it seems that John knew, hey, this is encoded language, but you guys should understand what it means. So it may have been that that was a way of referring to Nero and to the power of Rome. That seems to line up with this. It could be that it's 666 is a number that falls short of the perfect sevens that we see all throughout Revelation. This number seven that seems to represent the way of God. Three sevens would be perfection. This falls short of that continually, so it's three sixes. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's clear that it's, it's not something. This is the thing I want to encourage you with. Some people worry that they will accidentally jump into this system, that they'll, without realizing it, one day wake up and go, oh, I was trying to follow Jesus, but I took on the mark of the beast. That does not seem at all what's portrayed here. That's not what it, it seems to be describing. It seems to be that it's a willful decision. In, in chapter 14, it says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark. Like it's a way of, it's a way of aligning oneself intentionally, of not going the way of the lamb, but of going the way of the beast, the way of Satan. So don't fear it, but understand we've got to swim upstream against the way of the world and the way that it's going. And so in chapter 13, we see war against God's people. We see persecution. We see people who are killed for not worshiping the beast. Those are things that happened in a very literal way in Rome. There were people who were killed for not worshiping an image of the the emperor. Christians were killed for that. So it's something that has, has literally happened, but it's also the way that the world goes, that Christians are persecuted now, that there are people put to death for their faith in other parts of the world. And it's something that will happen um, as we approach the end of all things. People die for their faith in Jesus. They're swimming upstream and they face difficulties. Now, whatever we face, we're sort of running in the flats compared to that. 
But whatever we face, running, running the flats, running in the hills, we're called to swim upstream. Sorry for mixing metaphors. We're called to be swim upstream. We're called to be faithful to the Lamb. We're called to trust His way and to follow Him, and that requires endurance. And so it's in chapter 13, verse 10, that John writes, Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, for the people of God to endure and to keep going. That's the call that's repeated in chapter 14, verse 12, endurance and faith in Jesus. So we keep running, we keep enduring. If you don't know if you've got it, the fact that you're wondering if you've got it means that you're not okay with going with the current. Some people go, I keep fighting, I don't feel like I'm winning the fight. I got the same sins that keep cropping up. I got the same, same battles that I keep fighting. Does that mean that I'm on the wrong side, that I'm going the wrong way? No, it means that you realize you can't go that way. It means that you're swimming upstream. So what do you do in that situation? You keep swimming. He's, Jesus is the, listen, Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And that doesn't just mean, oh, now we know he's God. It means he's alive right now. If you belong to him, he is with you. He's holding you in his hand. He is the one that's pulling you along. He's the one that's pulling you upstream. So you don't stop swimming when you realize you're weak. Instead, you depend more and more on him. You take hope in, in, in the fact that Jesus is for you and that he's with you. And then finally, chapter 14 takes us all the way to the end of the story, to the day of judgment. And this is so important for us because you know when you're running a race, you got to know that there's a finish line. Like running's great and all, but I don't want to run forever. Like part of what's great is about finishing and going, I did it, you know? Like that feels good to get to the finish line. You're not meant to run all the time, and the, we're not meant to live this way forever, and we won't live this way forever. The world won't be this way forever. There is a finish line, and we need that because of the reality that a finish line fuels faith-filled endurance, right? It gives fuel to that kind of endurance that we need to know that there's a finish line and it's coming. It's like, it's like John keeps saying, stay with Jesus, stay with the Lamb. These are the, those are the ones that overcome, the ones that stay with the Lamb. So he says, don't give up. Don't lose heart. That's my call to you today is don't give up. Don't lose heart. And the way that John, remind, the way that John encourages us is he keeps coming back to the end of the story. Like, we're not to the end of Revelation yet, but he comes to the end of the story. A couple weeks ago, middle of Revelation, he comes to the end of the story. It's not like Revelation just goes all the way and at the end we get the end. Instead, he keeps coming back to how the story will end because he knows we need to be reminded of that. He needs to allow us to see how the whole story comes to a conclusion. We need that kind of encouragement along the way. I told the story once before, but... I like it, so I'm telling it again. I was, um, I was running a marathon once. I tell you that mostly so that you'll be impressed by me. And I go, wow, oh, marathons, oh. Um, I'm a jogger, okay? Don't be fooled. I am a jogger. I've, I've jogged a couple of marathons. And in one of those, my second marathon, I'm running along, and uh, I was hurting bad, okay? To the point that I sat down. I sat down on the curb. Now, remember, it's called a race, you're supposed to run in the race. I, and not only did I have to stop and walk, I literally sat down on the curb, okay? I was toast. I was done. Somehow, after a few minutes of rest, I got up. The cramps started to subside in my legs. I got up, and I started just slowly jogging down the road. Now, I had seen all throughout the race, there are these people who have their name written in big letters on their shirt. And at first, I was like, why do people do that? 
And then I realized it's because people would cheer for them by name. Like, hey, go, Larry. You got it. You can do it, Larry. You know? Well, nobody's cheering for Tim. They don't know who I am. <laughs> so I get up on my feet. I start jogging, and I have a plan. I see a clump of people up along on the side of the road. And as I approach them, I run towards them. And as I get, you know, I'm still in the distance a little ways, but close enough they can hear me. And so I yell as loud as I can, my name's Tim. (laughs) And I don't know if I can make it. And like on cue, they go, you can make it, Tim. (laughs) And like the whole crowd starts cheering, come on, Tim. They're calling me by name. And it worked. It's like I could feel it in my body, like the endurance, the power, the energy. It just came up, and I started running. I still had uh, 5.2 miles to go, and I finished that race. I didn't run all five of those miles, but I finished the race. Now, here's the crazy thing about those people. They didn't know if I could finish. They're just making it up. They had no idea. For all they knew, I could be collapsing 100 yards later. They were just trying to be encouraging. Here's the thing. Jesus knows that you can finish. He knows it. It's not, he's not just trying. It's not positive encouragement, positive thinking. He knows that you can finish. So when Jesus calls you to faithful endurance, it's because he knows you will make it and not because you're strong, not because you're full of endurance or power or energy. It's because he's strong. It's because he's gone before you. And in our weakness, we see his strength. In our dependence on him, we experience his power. That's the way that it works. He knows what he's talking about. And so we live word-dependent lives. We open up our Bibles day after day. We go, Jesus, show me that you're strong, man. I'm not feeling strong. I need to see that you are. We depend on his spirit. We live spirit-empowered lives. We say, Jesus, remind me. Because I'm not feeling it today. All I see is hills in front of me. Remind me that there's a finish line beyond it and that you'll get me there. Like in desperation, literally like that, we cry out to him. So if you think that a Christian, that a strong Christian, a good Christian is somebody who's strong, who can fight it out, who can fight the battle, listen, you probably got the wrong picture. Somebody who's strong in their faith is somebody who goes, oh God, help me today. I don't know if I'm going to make it, so please, please help me today, and he will do it. He's good. If you don't believe, actually don't believe me, just read his word. He will show it to you over and over again. That's who he is. And so we see as it comes to the end of the story in chapter 14, the victorious people of God worshiping the lamb, they are the ones who, as 14.4 says, who follow the lamb wherever he goes. We just stay close to him. It's like we're swimming in his wake wherever he goes. Let him lead the way. Stay with the lamb. He's the one who's won the fight. And then in verses 6 and 7, there's one final call to repentance. John has a vision. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. It's like good news forever. An eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. This angel is like, it's not too late. Look around you at the world. He made it all. The one who made it all is here and he's coming before it's too late. Turn and follow him. Go the way of the lamb. 
And we see in the end that God's people are secure in Christ. They're with him. They make it to the end. Chapter 14 ends with a picture of a harvest of God's people to eternal life with him and those who have rejected him to eternal separation and eternal punishment away from him. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We'll talk about it again next week. But there's this call to endurance. It's a call to the finish line. You know what it's like to, to get to the end of a race, whether, I'm, whether it's a, little race, a literal race or a project at work, whatever it is, you know what it's like to get to a finish line. It's meant to be joy there and celebration. You get to the end of a marathon. I remember getting to the end and, um, you know, thousands of people finished before me, okay? I didn't win the race. Yeah, they give you a medal. I got news for you. It's a participation trophy, okay? <laughs> Even if you don't finish, they will mail you the medal. So, um, but they give you the medal. But, but what really matters is like there's people there. There's people at the end of the finish line. I, I had the timing chip laced to my shoelaces. I couldn't bend down and get it off. You know, I was like, I can't bend my knees that much. There was a lady who knelt down in front of me and cut it off for me. When she stood up, I just wanted to give her a big sweaty hug. You know, like, like she's there at the finish line. Whoever it is, I want to celebrate with them. And they got food there at the end. They just got calories for you. Calories are good, you know, and you, you just you stuff your face with that. And it's not the same picture that's in Scripture, but it's like it. I mean, God keeps reminding us through the scripture that there's a finish line. There's going to be celebration there. That there's going to be like, it's going to be like a feast when we make it to the end. We need that. That fuels our endurance along the way. So what do we do with that? What do we do when we look at that? Um, one is choose life with the lamb. That's like, if you, that's, that's a next step. If you, want, if you want to know a next step, it's choose life with the lamb. Maybe today is the day that you say, my way doesn't work. The, world ways doesn't, the world's way doesn't work. I want to repent of that. God, I want to leave it behind. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I want to go your way. I want to, I want to put my full confidence in you, Jesus, and I want to go your way. Choose life with the lamb. Um, if you want to know what to do with this, um, do the live it out stuff. Um, grab your bulletin, take it with you this week, find it online, on, the, on, uh, on your phone, whatever. Do that stuff. A little bit more effort. Spend a little time in Revelation this week and just a little bit of time, it, you'll get a lot more out of it. Maybe, and this one isn't on my list, maybe what you need to do is ask somebody to pray for you. Just ask someone, will you pray for my endurance? Maybe because you'll tell them what you're up against or maybe you won't. We got, listen, whatever room you're in, when we, have, uh, when we finish our service with time to respond to God, part of that is we have folks from our prayer team in the room. You'll see them come up front. They'll be on the sides. They'll be in the back. Find those folks from your prayer team and ask somebody to pray for you or ask somebody who came with you or somebody you know across the aisle. Say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my endurance? Take advantage of that. Um, ask God to remind you of what gives you endurance. We'll do that together here. Let's just take a moment and let's ask God, hey, remind me, God, Bring to mind, what, what's something that has given me endurance, that helps me keep the end in mind, that helps me understand the spiritual battle? What's something that gives me endurance? If he brings to mind a piece of scripture, I'd say memorize that piece of scripture. If he brings to mind a song, I would say put that on the playlist this week, every morning. Maybe it's a spiritual distance, discipline, something you've practiced before that you need to get back to. But let's just take a moment before we respond and worship finish our time together, to ask God, God, would you remind me what in the past has brought me a sense of endurance so I can walk in that again?
God, we're so grateful uh, that you're with us. We need you so much. Uh, God, thank you that we don't have to beg and plead for your love, your mercy, your graciousness, uh, your, your life, but you are ready to give it generously. So we just want to eat it up, God. Just, just pour it out on us. Um, give us the perspective we need. Give us the spirit we need of life, of endurance, of faith to keep going, God. For your name's sake, for your glory, we want to live for you. Thank you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now we're going to continue. We're going to respond to him. We're going to worship him for who he is. So if you would, stand up. Uh, if you need prayer, ask for prayer. Uh, if you're ready to sing, then lift your voice and let's worship him together.